This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light. Welcome to this edition of the Spotlight Show on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Today's discussion is about homelessness and what is being done to support them with dignity and respect. I am John Morgan, a parishioner at St. Joseph's in Libertyville, and today I'm joined by Dave Marston, site coordinator at First Presbyterian Church in Libertyville. Ella Marston is daughter of volunteer at First Presbyterian. Michael Knight, a site manager at United Methodist Church. And Joel Williams, executive director of PADS Lake County. PADS is an organization in Lake County, Illinois that provides a comprehensive approach to combating homelessness. The acronym stands for Providing Advocacy, Dignity, and Shelter. Joe, would you please describe or give us an overview of, of PADS since probably many people are not familiar with it? Absolutely, John. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for having me uh, on here today to be able to speak about PADS. As you said, I'm the executive director at PADS, and PADS is a nonprofit organization that works with men, women, and children that are experiencing homelessness in Lake County. It started as a shelter over 30 years ago. It was Christmas Eve 1987 that a local church in Lake County saw that there was a problem in the community. There were all of these people that had no place to sleep, no place to go, and they wanted to make sure that they had that safe, warm place to sleep. And so on Christmas Eve, a church opened their doors and they said, come on in, have a safe, warm place to be, get a meal, and uh, share some time with us so that you can hopefully get back on your feet and get out of the situation that you're in. So after that period of time, uh, um, over, over time actually, that many different churches started joining that same cause. They saw they had these huge buildings that were not always used, be used on Sunday mornings, maybe occasionally some other times, but for the most part it was a big open space that was not being used and they wanted to use that to be able to provide a, a space for people that had no other space. And it's been terrific ever since. We are now to the point where we have 15 individual churches that are doing that same thing. There are at least two every night from October through April. And then during the summer months, as we call it, from May through September, there is a local park district that will provide that safe warm place for people to sleep. Now, of course, providing that space is only part of it. It's really just a Band-Aid at best. If you have a place to sleep, that's great, but we also want to make sure that you are getting the uh, resources and assistance that you need to get out of homelessness and back into housing. And that's where my role really comes in. That's where the nonprofit organization part of PADS comes in. While we do the coordination of all the different uh, church sites that provide that uh, shelter space, we also provide um, assistance to individuals and families to make sure that they can figure out what barriers they are facing and uh, help them overcome them. Some examples would be things like somebody may not have the necessary job skills. They may need some assistance in getting that. Some of them may have 
uh, lack of education, and we can help connect them to education resources. Some of them may have some serious health or mental health um, issues that need to be addressed, and we can connect them with the resources to do that. So our goal then is to make sure that they are getting on that path to get out of the homeless situation and into housing of their own. So we employ case managers, we employ counselors, we have some therapists, we have other people that will work with the individuals and families and help them address whatever it is that they are facing that led them into homelessness. We have a number of other programs too that all are working on uh, uh, addressing the causes of people that are experiencing homelessness. First one that I'll uh, discuss is what's called our prevention and diversion program the prevention and diversion program is working with those individuals and families that are almost homeless that they know that things are not looking good they may have gotten an eviction notice they may have lost the job they may have been staying with different family members bouncing around couch surfing as we call it and they know that uh, they are just on the edge of falling into homelessness and rather than just wait for them to need a shelter we try and do an earlier intervention and prevent them from ever needing the shelter and preventing them from experiencing homelessness and it's a great way to reduce the number of people that uh, are in need of our services is to to stop them from ever experiencing homelessness the next program that I'll talk about is on the other end, uh, and it's what's called our Permanent Supportive Housing Program. So while we have that earlier intervention under the Prevention and Diversion Program, the other uh, end of the spectrum is the Permanent Supportive Housing. That's for people who have been homeless for a very long time. The barriers that they are facing are complex, really innumerable. There are so many things that they are facing. They have, uh, are required to have some sort of disability, whether it is a severe and persistent mental illness, a physical disability, something else that is preventing them from really getting out of homelessness on their own. They're going to need longer term assistance. And what permanent supportive housing does is it takes them out of the shelter system, takes them out of the street in many cases, and puts them into an apartment of their own where they can receive services and assistance right there in the apartment. So rather than you know lingering in homelessness for years sometimes, they will have a place of their own which they would have never otherwise been able to obtain. And that program uh, works with, as I said, the, the most vulnerable, the most difficult cases uh, that we will see in our community. And it uh, really provides that, uh, that, that long-term assistance that they need. Uh, all, all of those programs uh, combined with um, our, what we call our day resource center, which is where our case managers and such are, are what um, really make up PADS. But when people think of PADS, they think of the, the shelter system. And that's what we were talking about at the very beginning, where the churches open up their doors and they provide that space for people to be. And really, that is what makes PADS work. Those other programs would not exist were it not for the shelter system and all of the church partners that are part of it. So as I said at the beginning, we as an organization kind of coordinate that effort, but it is made up of volunteers. It is made up of people who are uh, members of these various congregations, sometimes people who are not even members of the congregation that just want to 
um, to give back to uh, their community. And uh, we are so blessed to have so many people that are willing to do that over the course of a year. We have 3,000 people who will volunteer. Some volunteer a lot of time, <laughs> much more than uh, would otherwise be expected of anybody. Uh, some people may only do an hour. Sometimes you'll have a uh, Cub Scout troop or a Girl Scout troop that will just come in and will you know, set up the uh, pads for people to sleep on. They'll put sheets on. Some may serve a meal once or twice. But all of those things combined are really what makes sure that on any given night during the course of a year, there is a safe, warm place for people to sleep. Those that are experiencing homelessness need not be out in the street in Lake County. They have something available to them, and we are really working to make sure that they can access that and that ultimately they can get out of that situation that led them to homelessness and have stable housing of their own. Joel, when does the pad season run? What months of the year do the churches provide shelter and food and clothing? And, and how do the people get from their location to each pad site during the season? So since there are 15 sites, and it's at least two per night, um, these, are, these run from October through April. Um, during the summer months, May through September, uh, there's a local park district which provides the space. But uh, from October through April, it is those various churches. Now, these churches are all throughout Lake County. We go from Deerfield to Antioch, Wakanda to Zion. We are all over the place. And uh, that's not exactly easy to get to uh, in most cases. You're, you're not going to uh, walk across the county in order to do that. So what PADS does is we provide transportation to and from our day resource center, which is located in Waukegan, to all of the shelter sites. So in the evening, if the site is in Libertyville, we will provide a bus uh, from Waukegan to Libertyville. And then in the morning, we will provide that same bus back from Libertyville to Waukegan to make sure that people can access all the shelter sites, but also still be able to access the services that they need at our resource center. Michael, maybe you could help us understand why there is such a need for pads, why there are so many homeless people, not only just in Lake County, but in all the communities, probably in the country. Thanks, John. And uh, I'm a member of St. Joseph Catholic Church in <coughs> Libertyville, and we've been um, engaged as a parish community for um, uh, since the beginning. And uh, we partner with United Methodist Church, so that's a site that we share on the third Saturday of every month. And uh, I think the reasons um, cover a pretty broad spectrum, and we've really seen a change in the homeless population over the years. Uh, 24 years ago, we saw primarily men, um, older men, and uh, many with addiction issues, and that has changed. Uh, on a Saturday night uh, this past season, we had um, 56 guests, 31 of which were women and children. So, just to let that sit for a minute. Um, what has happened is, um, I think, a reflection of the economy and the change in job structures. Um, it is a, um, an issue of access to health care in a lot of cases. If somebody gets sick and loses their job, they lose their car, they lose their home. 
Um, so it's it's this ripple effect where so many things are interconnected. So we've seen a lot of different reasons why people come to pads and why we have a need for pads, but we know the need is growing and we know that we see an increasing number of women and children. Um, we also know that housing is a huge issue in Lake County. Um, housing costs are extremely high. Uh, living wages haven't always kept pace. And so for someone to transition from homelessness to market rate rents, um, Subsidized housing now has, um, if the waiting list is open, it's often eight to 10 years, which really creates a huge barrier for, for people to um, work their way out of homelessness. So I think it's easy to make assumptions, but when you really enter in relationship with people who are suffering through homeless situations, you start to see the complexity of their lives and the difficulty that confronts them um, as they uh, try to find better solutions. Joel or Michael, do you find that maybe you had or there was more state support or funding to help homeless in the past and maybe because of the state of Illinois' budget situation, they've cut back on social services, and maybe the PADS sites are feeling the impact of that? I would ag I would agree with that. There's not a whole lot of government support for um, homeless services in general. Um, there's a lot of community support, as we've seen, all of our, our volunteer sites and, and places like that. But um, homelessness is not something you catch. You know, homelessness is the result of other things. And so in many ways, PADS is the safety net for the safety net. And the safety net in Illinois is really lacking. Uh, there have been cuts to many other services that will cause people to ultimately have the result of homelessness. Cuts to mental health about 10 years ago. Cuts to um, some housing programs, as Michael had mentioned. Cuts to a lot of different things that you may not see an immediate impact, but down the road, people will fall into homelessness because they don't have those safety net services available to them, they wind up uh, in a homeless situation. And so we're there to respond to that need, but it's always uh, a benefit to everybody if we can, as I kind of alluded to with the prevention and diversion program, get to an earlier intervention, get to a point where if we can assist somebody with some mental health services, if we can assist somebody with some housing assistance, if we can provide those assistances, then we don't need to provide the shelter to those individuals. You're never going to get rid of it altogether. There's still going to be housing crises that people will experience. Things happen, but there are some things that we can do as a community, as a state, to be able to prevent people from falling into homelessness by having that stronger safety net. Joel, is all your funding or donations to PADS, is it all private? Is there any governmental assistance at all? We do get some government funding. We get probably about 25 to 30% total government funding. Uh, the majority of that, the vast majority of that comes from the federal government, from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. 
Um, and then we do get a little bit of state funding. Uh, and then we also get some funding from municipalities and townships throughout Lake County that will uh, contribute to the effort. But the rest of it is uh, private fundraising. We have events, we have uh, donations, we have foundations that will make contributions, and we really just try and get a whole bunch of people together to be able to uh, meet the budgetary needs that we have. Michael, you mentioned that, and I've seen it myself because I'm a volunteer, many more children than in the past years. And I know there's an example. I was at one night at First Presbyterian, and there were infants there, and it was very cold, 20 degrees. And the um, a woman asked me, do you have any little mittens that they could put on the little infant's hands? And I couldn't find any, so I had to find little socks to put on a little child's hands to go out, you know, with no home in the winter. So it was, it was quite moving. And then what happened later was a prayer shawl ministry at St. Joseph's Catholic Church knitted some little hats and mittens and socks for the, for the little babies. But, you know, if you're a parent yourself and you're working there and you see an infant, or because maybe you can relate to your, your, your own kids or your grandchildren, with no home and you're going out in the cold with nothing to cover their hands it's it's very moving it is john and i think the story that uh, you related back to your um i think it was a community of the kingdom group um about you, what you saw what you observed what you were present to carried that message deeper into our community and as a result i think um it shows just how um, relationship can make a difference. Our relationship with people who are struggling and it changes our relationship with others. So it's just one of many examples. The seventh graders at St. Joe's have prepared lunches for um, our site every month for the last 14 years. And included in those lunches is a note from the children. Hmm. And we, they started doing that years ago. Um, and it was in response to an understanding that sometimes people become homeless because they lose hope. You know, with the bad choices, yes, uh, bad luck, yes, but oftentimes they lose hope. So the seventh graders at St. Joseph's um, every month write a note. And it's uh, a note that says, I'm praying for you. It is something encouraging. And uh, I've talked to Pad's guests who um, months later still have those notes in their pocket. They carry that with them because it is something that lifts them up. We're going to now take a short break and we'll be back in a moment. sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Steve Angrisano. I think Catholic Radio is so important to the culture of our communities and our church because really, uh, I know in my own family, we listen to Catholic Radio in the car with the kids. It brings up things that we can talk about. It allows our faith to be not just a Sunday faith, but an everyday faith. And I think that's so important. 
WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. For those of you who are just tuning in, we're discussing homelessness, homelessness on the Spotlight Show on WSFI Catholic Radio 88.5 FM today. And right now we want to talk to, um, and I would, should reintroduce who we're talking to, Dave Marson, site coordinator at First Presbyterian Church in Libertyville, Ella, his daughter, who's a volunteer, Michael Knight, a site manager at United Methodist Church, and Joel Williams, executive director of PADS Lake County. And once again, PADS is an acronym that stands for Providing Advocacy, Dignity, and Shelter to the Homeless. So why do people volunteer? You want to talk to Dave and Ella about that. And one thought that I had was, I suspect many people are following the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me in prison and you visited me. Dave, can I ask you why you've, you've been volunteering for what, 20 plus years? We why? started back in 1996, my wife and I, yeah, so. And it, wasn't it actually in this building that we're in, in the basement? It was. It's kind was. of strange, but same with Michael Knight's three of us. It's, <coughs> it's those of you who know, the radio station is a couple of floors above where most of us started pads. That's correct, no, yeah. we, this very basement was where we housed our first yeah. shelter that we were part of um, mm-hmm. 22 years ago. And again, you asked the question, I think the, I, my wife and I had moved to Lake County, we were, we'd found a new church and we're looking for ways to get involved in the community and PADS was something that our church had just become involved in and we felt that there was a, a need that we weren't aware of that we wanted to learn more about and we started volunteering at the site right here in the basement and over time just our faith journey grew with the need that was there and the, the opportunity to serve and since then have obviously just stayed very involved and as we had children they've both become active participants and it's it's just a <coughs> great thing to see that our children are, on a Tuesday night are willing and wanting to come and help not needing to be asked or told that this is their opportunity but they will just want to be there when they don't have anything that conflicts at school that they want to come to our side and I think it's it's great when you live in a community like Libertyville that whether whether we are we are so fortunate we have so much that something that's often a very invisible need to most of the local community that we are able to provide so much support and shelter and I think one of our success stories has been the fact that because of the growth and as several have mentioned the the need with the families and just the growing population of the support we've needed we've been able to move the site from the basement here at St. Joe's over to our church where we have a just much larger facility with kitchens and just more amenities to provide comfort for just a larger family-based network that we now see with so many women and children that our site has been supporting. And more recently you actually built two showers so the homeless can actually 
take a bath, shower, which I've not seen anywhere else. That's pretty incredible. It was. Over time, we've had the opportunity through some mission giving to set aside some funds for ways that we can actually grow the program. So four years ago, we were able to build two showers, and we now obviously have the capability for our guests to shower, which, again, is not something a lot of the sites have, huh? which we found are very valuable, and we always are looking for ways to do that. We're in the process this year of putting in laundry services so our clients can actually use the services oh. to wash clothes and just we always try to find little ways that we can just do a little more or provide a service that we know is something that they're not able to support themselves with and our congregation is both very generous and really very very connected to finding ways big or small to to make it make a difference and it's very I feel very fortunate to be connected to such a strong congregation that has such a strong passion for our mission. That's great. Ella, can you tell us why you volunteer? Your dad mentioned that he's been doing it for so long, but it's great to see somebody younger doing it too. Yeah, I've been going. Um, they started bringing me <coughs> as soon as I could walk. So <laughs> I could walk and I could talk. I was three. So when you've been doing something since you're three, it kind of becomes a part of you, I guess. So... Um, <laughs> When you've been doing something for so long, it's just it's just what you do. And I've grown to really enjoy it. And I've bonded with a bunch of the guests. And uh, one time, I think this was last year, maybe two years ago, um, one lady, we were standing in line. I was serving food. She was um, going through the food line. And she mentioned how she had watched me grow up. And, wow. like, it was just... Um, it was kind of sad because she had she has to uh, come to a different shelter every night for what I'm 15 so for 12 years at least and um, so it was just um, a really cool moment I guess to see that I've grown up at pads it's just a part of who I am that's terrific uh, right now we want to talk to Joel about maybe some stories of success that you've seen in in paths where people came into a site but maybe either through your prevention or some transition program they were able to get out of the homelessness situation absolutely and these are these are the things that certainly keep me going uh when you see these successes um i'm going to give one that's you know it's just a a small example and i'm sure many volunteers get the same experience every once in a while uh, I was shopping at a local grocery store. This was probably just a couple months ago. Shopping at a local grocery store, and I was uh, checking out, and the person bagging the groceries was a former Pat's client. Um, our policy as an organization is we aren't going to go up to you and say, hey, how are you doing, and identify them as someone who had experienced homelessness. But they often are so proud of the fact that they are no longer homeless. They'll come up to me. Uh, I've gotten more hugs than <laughs> I normally would out in the community, but uh, this individual was so proud of the fact that they had this stable job, that they had a place to live, that we talked for a few minutes before they had to get back to work, of course, but talked for a few minutes just about how proud and excited they were to be able to, um, <coughs> excuse me, to be able to provide that. Um, a, a, to provide that job to to do that and to have that stability 
and it's really rewarding when they when you see that excitement and pride in them regarding some more specific stories about some people and i have a, an individual we'll call larry uh larry had been homeless for about 10 years um he had uh struggled with um, schizophrenia he had uh some some other health issues that he was concerned with and he was was very paranoid too so he didn't really trust a lot of people he was always afraid of you know somebody taking advantage of him and all of the fear that would come out of it but through some relationship building uh through some um trust building larry was able to accept a program that provided him some long-term housing support and Larry uh, moved into an apartment of his own after 10 years of homelessness. <coughs> and once he was in his apartment, his entire attitude, his entire demeanor, his entire health wound up changing. He uh, reconnected with some family that he had not seen in probably 15 years. He started to have some stability. The greatest thing that he said that he got was a library card. He had an opportunity to go to the library, to read, to use some of the services that the library has, and he was so excited about it. One thing he insisted that I do, though, was that whenever I go to a congregation that uh, provided a uh, shelter site, that I had to thank them, because he said that... uh, even though he was probably a bit standoffish, that he was uh, a bit fearful of what their motivations were. He realizes now that they were really trying to help him. And he was so grateful for every single night over 10 years that he was able to uh, have that safe warm place to sleep, even though he now has that place of his own. So Larry's a, a great example of success. He's still stably housed today. Um, Another example, as you had uh, brought up, the Prevention and Diversion Program. Uh, we had a family that had just gotten an eviction notice right after Thanksgiving. It was one of those five-day notices that seem really scary. There still might be an opportunity to stay in the house, but it's, it's something that if you don't know all of your legal rights or anything like that, it can be very scary. And so this family with three children came to PADS thinking, well, I might as well get the process started because we're going to spend Christmas in a homeless shelter. We're just going to need to do that. Mother was distraught, to say the least. She was very concerned. She uh, was so heartbroken and she felt like she had failed. She felt like it was her fault that they had fallen into this situation. What we wound up doing with her and her, her family was connecting them with our prevention and diversion program and started working with the landlord. There's this, uh, it's a wonderful life sort of image of uh, landlords. Uh, Mr. Potter is just this horrible guy and he just wants to evict or (laughs) foreclose on everybody. Uh, Most landlords are are good people uh, and um, there's just processes that they need to follow. So we were able to connect with the landlord and say, hey, this family's working with us. They have some issues that we are going to try to address can we work something out with you so that they can stay in their apartment while we work to make sure that you get everything that you need to cover for your rent, for your expenses and everything like that. When a landlord knows that an individual is working with pads, 
they're usually much more willing to accommodate anything that uh, a person may need. So we started working with the family. The landlord said, yes, you can stay. Let's work out some plans. Let's work out some stuff. So the person got to stay in their same house or the same apartment, excuse me, for Christmas. And because she was working with us, even though she had to pay some of her rent that she owed, some of the things that she had uh, fallen behind on, we were able to connect her with some other programs that ensured that the kids got Christmas gifts. Because if you're needing to pay some back rent, you might not have money for Christmas gifts that year. So it wasn't just making sure that she had the housing, but it was that she had some sense of normalcy, that she had some sense of stability. And that was really a tremendous success. Otherwise, that's another family that would have come into the shelter system, that would have been spending Christmas in a homeless shelter, that might have lingered there for longer. It's much harder to get out once you're in. As Ella said, somebody was there uh, seeing her grow up. That happens too often, and we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help these people move out of shelter and into housing. And if we can, do an earlier intervention and stop them from even getting into it. So those are just two of many, many examples of successes. Um, you know, I could probably spend the entire hour just uh, uh, relaying some different stories that people would have. Thank you, Joe. Michael, I know you've done this PADS for more than 20 years, and I'm sure you've probably run across some stories of success also. Can you share some of those with us? Thanks, John. There are so many, and, and I think... Um, it's important to um, reflect on just how you define success. And in, um, in our case, um, we set an expectation that um, every night that uh, St. Joseph provides um, um, ministry for the homeless, that we create a five-star environment for guests. So success is that someone is greeted with... Um, encouragement and fellowship and kindness and compassion and that success is if we can see them smile and when they leave the next day feel a little more hopeful and um, a little brighter uh, so that we can trust in God's goodness to help them move forward so our goal is always a five-star rating so the success sometimes comes with within our volunteers. You know, Christmas time generally brings out the best in people. Um, and I think of a, a time when we had uh, we worked on Christmas Eve and we had a family and uh, we had gifts for most of the children, but there was one child that didn't have a gift. And there was a 13-year-old girl from St. Joseph who said, I have my Christmas gifts in the car. I'd like to go get something for this child. So I think success in that connection with another human being um, is just one of the many small examples of life-changing events, experiences, change how we think and feel. Um, we've seen successes where um, uh, guests have been uh, working to prepare for um, any, a job interview. And uh, in one case, um, he was struggling because he didn't understand graphs and charts. So sitting down with that um, guest and kind of walking him through the process and then getting a note the following week that he got the job that he had applied for. Um, we've seen um, last year someone came back in the, late in the evening and said, I just came back to say thank you. Um, I've worked my way out. I needed this um, for a time. 
that I was struggling in my life. We've seen guests that have come back and volunteered as well. Hmm. So, you know, I, th I think we go in with an expectation that, uh, you know, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And although it's, it, may, it may not be a huge conversion, we make a difference in ways that we may not even know just by being present, just by showing up. And um, just, as, just as you heard, um, by being um, kind. Thank you, Michael. Dave, I know you've done this for same thing, 20 plus years, started here in the basement. So I'm sure you've run across some great stories in your, in your experience too. Can you share some of those with us? Sure, I'd love to. Um, certainly you see lots of different things that happen at the sites, but we've had several families that have got to a point where they're close to being able to get themselves into a situation with housing and we have connections within our church for furniture and fixtures and things that individuals are going to need if they're going to truly make it on their own they have an empty apartment and again we've had several stories where our congregation has come together and been able to furnish apartments that's allowed the families to leave our sites to get into permanent housing and those stories are just amazing on both sides to see the families that no longer need us and the fact that our congregation is so generous and and like Michael said, oftentimes we'll see the clients come back that have housing now that have got successes through the programs that Joel have and they're either going to come back for dinner just because they enjoy the fellowship of the sites and the volunteers or they sometimes are looking for a way to actually give back themselves and want to come to our sites even though they have so little to think that they want to help and it's very rewarding to see how what you see as being such a, a small benefit is such a big value to the clients you serve. Thank you, uh, Dave. You know, Michael, you mentioned just giving people hope is, is a great thing. Well, one time or twice now when I've been at the First Presbyterian site, you'll be sitting there at 3 o'clock in the morning and a, a woman would come up and said, I want to pray for you. These are people that have nothing and, and they want to pray for us so they have hope. In another occasion, a woman had a Bible open. I said, oh, what are you reading? And she told me what chapter she was on. And she said, can we pray together? And she held my hand and we prayed together. So to your point about hope, you can see hope. And I know, David, I think at First Presbyterian, isn't there somebody that gives like a Bible study class that, that helps people acquire faith more and maybe gives them hope? We have done things like that in yeah. the past where we've offered Bible studies after dinner for individuals that are just interested in just ex in exploring their faith or sharing their faith with some of our leaders of the church and that's been something we've had people participate in for several years now where they're able to engage with our congregation and we're actually starting something this year because of so many you know, school-age children that are at the sites mm -hmm. looking yeah. to partner with the National Honor Society at the school to actually have some of their kids be available after dinner to help with either homework or mm -hmm. tutoring or any way to kind of engage the children to continue to find a way to connect with schoolwork that probably is very difficult to do when you're with 50, 60 other people in a one-room shelter, set a classroom aside, but certainly something that we find ways to again increase the fellowship to be more than just a meal but ways to increase their faith or again in some ways hopefully help them with their education thank you dave now we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment holy family catholic bookstore if you have a child grandchild or godchild 
being baptized, receiving their first Holy Communion, or being confirmed, remember that Holy Family has the area's largest selection of gifts, accessories, and supplies to make their special day more memorable. For baptism, we have cradle medals, baby Bibles, wall crosses, and nightlights. We have beautiful baptismal gowns and accessories, as well as invitations and cards. If you have a First Holy Communion in your family, we have a wide variety of mass books and gift sets, rosaries and medals. We have exquisite veils for the girls and ties for the boys, along with all of the necessary party supplies. Our suggestions for new confirmants include personal-sized Bibles, prayer books, and other spiritual readings that can follow them through their lifetime. And don't forget the godparents and sponsors. We have gifts and cards for them as well. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. For those of you who are just tuning in, in this edition of the Spotlight Show on WSFI Catholic Radio 88.5 FM, we're talking about homelessness, specifically in Lake County, Illinois. I am John Morgan, and I'm joined by Dave Marston, site coordinator at the First Presbyterian Church in Libertyville, his daughter Ella, who's a volunteer at the same location, Michael Knight, a site manager at United Methodist Church, and Joe Williams, who is executive director of PADS Lake County. And by the way, if you haven't heard before, pads, I always thought pad was the thing you slept on in the beginning, a little foam mat, but I know that's where the name came from in the beginning, but it actually stands for providing advocacy, dignity, and shelter. We now want to talk about how do the program actually work at each site. I know it's a very ecumenical program. You have all dominations of all kinds of churches, right? It's not just Catholic. It's Presbyterian. It's Lutheran. It's Methodist. Is anybody, any church that will volunteer, correct, Joel? Absolutely. We have all different faiths that are coming right. together to be able to provide this service. It's really wonderful to see. And uh, each church operates a little differently, but fundamentally they operate the same way. And so what uh, people will do is they will go to the site. Now, I can let the uh, uh, Dave and uh, Michael really talk about the specifics of it. But our job as an organization is to make sure that after they prepare the site and get everything ready, we get people there. And that's where we will provide transportation from our day resource center in Waukegan to wherever the site is that night. We have a big old school bus that we will use to uh, transport the individuals and the families to the site. Uh, once they get there, they are turned over to the capable hands of the, uh, the, the site volunteers. And then in the morning, we will pick them up again. 
but what happens uh, at the site is uh, a little bit different for, for each one. But uh, Dave and uh, Michael can certainly talk about some of the specifics uh, that happen uh, both at their sites and uh, universally throughout. Thank you, Joel. Dave, I know there must be an amazing amount of logistics because I'm just a regular volunteer, but you have to do all the planning. Could you tell us how do you staff the site for all those shifts to people, how you acquire all the food, and you also get clothes for people? Can you give us some detail on how you put all this together every single week from October through April? Of course. Um, our site opens each Tuesday night at 5 o'clock. That's when we have our volunteers that will begin. We, At that point, we'll have a crew that's going to come in. Oftentimes, as we've mentioned, a, a Boy Scout troop or just a, a group looking to help that will make the beds for our site. We'll get some indication from pads as to how many we're going to get that night, how many maybe women and children, so we can make the proper arrangements to set up our site to house the mix of our clientele. One thing that our site does that a lot of sites do too, we also take walk-in clients and we will often nights have as many that walk in from the community as come on the bus. Uh, and that's another way that, that the doors being open at 5 allow them to come in at that point. Our bus will normally get there about 6.30. And at that point, we will again have a, each week different food volunteer groups, uh, both preparing, cooking, providing the resources for all of our meals and our meal will be ready to serve at 6.30. We do have on-site kitchens at our church, so we have the ability to prepare and keep our food warm at the site. We will serve dinner at 6.30 for anywhere from probably 50 to 80 clients, depending on the week. And at that point, we have several of the services we've talked about. We have showers that our guests can sign up for. We have an on-site doctor that comes each week to provide mm -hmm. medical attention with a doctor and two nurses that come from Lake County Healthcare. We, again, have had services where we've had salons that have come to provide um, haircuts to our clients. We, again, have Bible studies, tutoring. We find little ways just between that 7 and 11 time to not just have an open door, but a way to create fellowship and companionship and serve needs for our clients. Our site then will operate overnight with just a number of volunteers working a three or four hour shift. And then in the morning, in morning time, we'll wake our clients about five o'clock. Breakfast is then provided by another group that comes in to serve and clean up. Once breakfast is done, our bus will actually be arrived to pick up our guests by 6 a.m. So it's a pretty early morning for waking the families to get them up and ready and back on the bus to the crisis center and then between 6 and 7 a.m. Our, our, our volunteers are then cleaning up the site and most mornings we have a Bible study in that room at 7.30 a.m. so we can completely turn the site back into what it's usually used for. And one thing I guess I didn't mention is that as a third meal, just to make sure that our clients have a full day of food, we have prepared sack lunches that are either prepared by donations to the site or by a group that actually brings the lunches to us, and each client will leave with a lunch for that day, so they're assured to have three full meals to support themselves from that time to when they get to the next shelter. And we've calculated that in an average week, it probably takes about 50 volunteers for us to actually manage all of the food and all of the service that we provide overnight to, to support the, uh, the site and the number of people that we're seeing each week. And you're not receiving any funding from any governmental organization to do all this? I assume the, 
the food is prepared by volunteers and then or the church funds pretty much no it's all food. it's all by donated um, all by services donated. primarily it's people that are just willing to give of their time or their resources we do have a part of our mission giving that is dedicated to PAD so we do have funds available to us mm -hmm. thankfully most of those funds were able to give directly to the crisis center because our congregation is so generous to donate most everything that we need to run the site whether it's the food the clothing the supplies everything from the diapers and everything else we need each week to make sure we have anything that might come in need because of the varying age of the clients we see each week and don't you have another church that helps staff you for maybe one week a month in other words you have your own parishioners congregants and then people in libertyville but you might have staffing from another church that just that's what they do they just provide the staffing to help you out no it is it's very much a community-wide event right. for us each each week we have grace lutheran church in libertyville that provides staffing for me the first week of the month st james lutheran in lake forest provides me the, all the food one week of the month hmm. st joe's has a, a network that provides me a meal once a month so it's really is a a wide network within libertyville just because of the size of the need that has grown bigger than one congregation can probably manage themselves and it is very it's just a neat thing to see all of the churches come together and most of these groups have been volunteering for me for probably about you know 10 years plus so it's just an ongoing faith journey that we take together so even though a church may not have the facilities to house the homeless like you do there's another way they can contribute either through staffing or food preparation etc absolutely yes it's great that they can be involved in so many ways and it's just a case of them knowing the need is there and it's unusual that they're not going to be willing and wanting to support in any way they can thank you dave michael um can you tell us how united methodist church works i know through st joe's i think you maybe have that model i just mentioned where you're staffing it right. maybe once a, a week i guess or month to month third saturday of every right. month and and it follows a very similar um, model that Dave has described and and I think one of the really uh, I don't know inspiring elements of pads is that there's a lot of people doing a lot of things that make a big difference so there doesn't seem to be a big burden on any one group or one church or one purpose United Methodist has um, we partner with United Methodist. There are other churches that also partner with United Methodist that provide a combination of food and also volunteers. Um, my wife Nancy is is volunteer coordinator and food coordinator uh, for our Saturday each month. Um, we need 25 volunteers to cover the um, the evening, um, four different shifts and. You know, everybody taking a different role. Um, we have religious heads groups that volunteer. Uh, we have uh, school groups. We have uh, alumni groups from St. Joseph's uh, School that volunteer, plus seventh graders. So it's it's really, I, I think, a very joyful ministry in that sense. Um, I, I also think that one of the things that we all start to appreciate is how blessed we are when we um, encounter people who struggle. So. This is very much a faith-filled um, effort, and I think that that uh, reinforces the sustainability of uh, the continuation of connection with PADS, people who really understand how blessed we are and, and uh, have a sense of gratitude, and they see suffering in the world, and, and they connect with people who are vulnerable in a way that 
um, really makes a difference. So we have um, a lot of people engaged. Uh, St. Joseph also dedicates uh, 6% of our uh, annual uh, collections to social justice issues. Uh, plus, we have gold envelopes for ju social justice issues. So this past year, um, to, a, to a variety of different, 15 different organizations, uh, we were able to send $236,000 in resources. So everything that we do is um, donated and volunteers, including food. So I don't, you know, I, I think Dave's number of 50 people to provide a good night for uh, somewhere between 50 and 80 guests is probably a pretty good estimate and a lot of more opportunities for other engagement because we're, we're not all and Joel may be, might be able to comment on this um, all of the pad sites aren't quite as uh, blessed with the number of volunteers so there there's there are needs out there that still need to be fulfilled yeah, absolutely go ahead Joel yeah absolutely there's um, we like to say that if somebody wants to serve and if they want to volunteer, there's an opportunity for them to do it. Now, in some cases, uh, it's that 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. shift, which I'm sure is always a, a challenge to fill. Uh, but there are plenty of opportunities for people who want to do something to uh, provide that service. Um, most congregations are responsible and take uh, uh, care of recruiting and getting their own volunteers uh, for those different shifts but what we as an organization as pads the organization does is we can uh, get information about people who want to volunteer and the simplest way we get people to do that is to go to our website which is padslakecounty.org and in uh, the top of it there's a uh, spot where you can volunteer. The top menu is a spot you can volunteer. It's also just padslakecounty.org slash volunteer. And you can fill out a form saying what you're looking to do, the general area that you're looking to do it in. And uh, hopefully we can find a connection there. Uh, we have all of the different shelter sites listed there. So the First Presbyterian Church is listed there. The United Methodist Church is listed there. All of those different sites. So that if somebody lives in Libertyville, they can see those various sites that they may be able to volunteer at. If they live in Deerfield, they can see that. If they live in Waukegan, they can see that. And hopefully be able to find a spot to serve in those areas. And there's more than just volunteering at those sites. There's all sorts of different things that people can do that are all listed on the website there. They can, uh, we have some neighborhood cleanups around our day resource center in Waukegan. There's always stuff to clean, basically. So <laughs> if anybody's feeling uh, the need to do that, there's a lot of opportunity there. And we always like to find a place that if somebody has a particular talent that they like to share, we'd like to be able to do that. Uh, as it was mentioned earlier, we have sometimes people coming to sites or coming to different locations and sharing their talent, uh, such as those who can provide haircuts, such as those who might be able to uh, provide some of the health care uh, assistance. What is it that you have a particular talent at that you'd like to share? We can find a match for that. So just going to our website and filling out the application there, and we're going to do our best to make sure that you can serve in the way that you want to. One thing that I ran across for a, a way to donate is, you know, Amazon. So I, I was always ordering things just regular Amazon.com, and there's this thing called Amazon Smile or Smile.Amazon. It's an alternative site. And everything you buy there, Amazon contributes 0.5% of the sale price to the designated charity. So, for example, mine is Pads Lake County. So people can find a way 
without even directly coming out of their pocketbook to, when they just order Amazon to go to the alternate site, Amazon Smile and designate Lake County pads and then 0.5% of all the revenue goes directly to you. And that's probably the simplest way that people can make a contribution to pads. Um, going to that, just putting smile in front of the Amazon.com, that allows you to choose a charity, and pads is one of those. And every time you order something, and most people will order quite a bit from yes, Amazon, yes. Uh, Amazon, we get a little bit uh, of that without adding anything to the price of your purchase or anything like that. This comes directly from Amazon just simply by purchasing from them. So we, we encourage people to do that, obviously, but we're also grateful for all of the other uh, donations that we can get uh, that's also on our website the opportunity to donate uh, and then we have events and other things from time to time that people can participate in such as a, a bowling event that we have coming up next year and other things that people can do that still get to have a little bit of fun but ultimately um, make a contribution to pads and the people that we serve and i'm sure for people that don't live in lake county in their own community i'm sure homelessness exists and they may be able to do something through their own, maybe there's a pads in, in, maybe if they're in Wisconsin in their area, or through their church, or inquire, does the church have some kind of ministry that does something with the homeless that may not be Lake County? So I know this broadcast goes uh, into Wisconsin also, so people can inquire uh, as to how they address homeless in their various communities. Absolutely. This issue is not unique to Lake County. No. It is something that is across the country. And uh, there are so many different responses and so many different organizations that are doing something about it. No matter where you live, I'm sure that you can find some place to provide this level of service. We're very proud of what we're able to do here in Lake County and very grateful for all the people who contribute to that effort. Uh, but it is not something that we are alone in this. We're all working together to be able to solve this issue. I hope this edition of Spotlight has given our listeners awareness of, of the homeless situation in wherever you live and perhaps you can find a way to support this this need I want to thank all of our participants Ella Dave Michael Joel and at this point I would like to say thanks again and I'm your host John Morgan from this edition of Spotlight good evening good evening